Welcome to the second Punks and Pubs podcast. My name is Liam Bird, and welcome. Um, if you follow this podcast on Twitter, you will know that I wasn't going to put out this episode. By the way, the reason that this is a bit of an echoey uh, introduction is because I'm actually doing this in a kitchen, basically on my way from home for a couple of weeks. So uh, this is the only space I really have that's kind of private at the moment. So I'm having to do the introduction from here. So apologies um anyway so if you follow the podcast on twitter at punks and pubs you'll know that i have some doubt about putting out this special uh that's because there are audio issues ironic that i'm doing this here with bad audio <laughs> but there's audio issues but you guys voted because i put it out there asking you uh should i release the audio and i basically had a like 24-hour twitter poll and a huge lot of you basically said, yeah, fuck it, put it out. So here it is. Also, I have to thank a guy on Twitter who reached out to me. His name is Dave Kleiman. He's in America. I think he's from Philadelphia. Uh, he basically got in contact with me saying, would you mind uh, if I had a listen to the audio and see if I can fix it? So of course, I was like, yeah, fuck it, dude, go for it. So Dave had a crack at it. Uh, he's fixed it up the best he could. Uh, so I really like to thank him for having a go of it because if it wasn't for him, I probably wouldn't have put it this audio out but uh so thank you dave so the issue that i had is that my mic basically failed on me so my audio that you hear is feeding through my guest's mic so my guest audio is exceptional by the way but my audio is sounds like i'm quite far removed so it can be quite annoying what it was for me it was annoying that whenever i was asking a question you didn't completely hear my question but let's face it you're listening to this podcast for the guests not for me i don't know why i did that little thing at the end weird anyway let's do this uh, so my live guest at manchester punk festival was a man called joe tilston joe had just finished up his show at the brick house social with his band the embers and that's where we uh, start the podcast talking about just that his show at the brick house social however we of course talk about other things so we talk about his other band random hand and his t-shirt printing company called merch store uh, joe in fact actually printed my t-shirts uh, the punks in pubs t-shirts that you can pick up 15 pounds from etsy nice little plug there so we talk about all that as well as punk folk music uh, folk music plays a huge part in uh, joe's life if you didn't know about this so we get really into that as well as joe being an emergency responder weirdly uh, even though this is a special your music plays at the show and london irish folk punk band the lag will see you home uh, with their track let's do it again 
anyway, so let's let's get on with this. This is Joe and me at the font live at Manchester Punk Festival. I'll talk to you in a bit. Enjoy. To this bucket of holes, repeated trips to the world, nothing to show. My feet, you see, a soul to the bone. My feet, you see, a soul to the bone. Liza. Won't you fix this for me? We are at Manchester Punk Festival. Uh, we have got this weird kind of enlarging to ourselves of microphones. Many, many mics. And uh, Joe uh, Tilson is in front of me. How are you, Joe? I'm very good, thank you. How is your show? I know we've already spoken about this. I always feel weird having the conversation that we're definitely going to have on a microphone minutes before the microphone. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was great. I, I, I could not complain. Um, Full room at half, like first on, and people enjoying it. No one walking off despite not knowing a single song is a nice place to be. So when that happens, I mean, you know that the audience knows nothing about what you're about to come out of your mouth. Yeah. Like, how do you keep them there? Is it like interacting with them? Oh, songs that just hope. It is hope, I think, because the, the problem with what I'm doing in the solo thing is it's so detached from what is random hand. So if anybody's coming from it expecting anything like Random Hands, they're going to be shocked. Yeah. Um, but I like to think that, you know, the people that did come wanted to see something and see what I was going to bring to the mix. And like I said, I've been doing this whole thing enough that I think enough people might have had an idea, an inkling that it wasn't going to be a load of stuff like Random Hands. Um, yeah, so no, it was good, yeah. But you, know, you started out early doors, and that can always be a little bit like the, good or bad. Well, it's, it's, there was nothing else on. But it's the next day, it's like a Friday, so it starts Festival starting on Friday, yeah. and it's a Saturday, so everyone usually goes pretty fucking hard on Friday. And on Saturday, people are a bit dead. Yeah. So trying to get people to come out can be a bit difficult. It seems like it. Well, I'm, I think I made the uh, I, I put the guilt trip on everybody yesterday, going around seeing everyone. They better be there, yeah. and uh, yeah, it worked. So, um, well, thanks to the podcast. Uh, I so I was looking at the podcast. And I know you started doing a podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, called I Don't Matter. Yeah. So I wanted to listen to it, but I went on iTunes and for some reason you can't download it if you're from the UK. Alright, that's strange. Um, well, I, I stopped doing it. Um, did I did two episodes. I recorded a third with Alice from An Evil Hour. Um, and the timing of it was basically I was, I'd, I'd just left a job that was like absolutely killing me. Um, and there was just so much going on. I think Random Hands started up again. Um, and loads of other little bits that were just taking up too much time. It's spinning too many plates. And I just thought, I'm not going to be able to do this as I wanted it to do. Yeah. Like, I wasn't going to do it well enough. Um, yes, yeah, so I, I kind of like, I, I just decided rather than kind of trying to keep it going, like, like flogging it on for a little bit longer, I just thought I'd draw a line under it. I know I can do it. it the, the, I know there's only two episodes, but I enjoyed them. So I can always go back to it if I want. But, 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 you're going to go back. I, there's no massive agenda right now. I think. So, the thing, the thing that, I frustra- that frustrated me with that was that I just felt like I wasn't about to bring anything new 
to the sea of podcasts. Um, and if I wasn't if I wasn't really careful, what I was going to be, be end up doing was I was in danger of just making a long list of me of, of conversations with me talking to people that I've been played gigs with. It's just going to be me and some of the guys. And I thought. If I want to do this, I want to do it right. I want to have like a really diverse bunch of people, but I just didn't have the time and energy to make that that happen, really. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I might do it. Like I, I love it as a medium. I love listening to podcasts and um, I love being involved with them. So yeah, it, I might do. But at the moment, I've got to, enough to do. And your mum was at the forefront of the idea of podcasting. She was blogging. Um, I think it's called the kitchen table. The kitchen songs. Yeah. No, I did not expect. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, it was yeah, it was. I didn't even think about that. You've caught me off guard. But yeah, she, um, yeah, she did um, this thing called Kitchen Songs. It was similar to probably what I was doing, really. She just went and talked to all these amazing folk singers all over the, the country and just sat in their kitchen. They played a song and they talked about stuff. Um, and that was done with a guy from Radio Leeds, um, David Crickmore, who who engineered it and stuff. Yeah, it was a really beautiful thing. Yeah, really beautiful. You were your mum's fantastic Oh, yeah, she did a little one with me. Yeah, yeah. she did the... Uh, yeah, that was, yeah that, was, that was that, yeah. It's <laughs> like, you kind of, like, you're talking to each other and you already know that your mum kind of already knows it. <laughs> she knows everything, yeah, yeah. It's like, what are you going to ask me, mum? Yeah, yeah. This is weird. Yeah, it was a strange one, actually. I haven't thought about it for a long time, but it was definitely a, a peculiar... Purely environment. <laughs> this is going to be the same kind of interview about the way we're going to do So let's, let's start off with those couple of questions then. Hard hitting question. <laughs> you go on the tour, Frank Turner Day Pass, or Chuck Reagan, who you going with? I would be Chuck Reagan every day of the week. He's, I, I've, I've got a lot of time for that man's heart and soul that comes out. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I've, I've met that guy for maybe two minutes, and in those two minutes, he made me feel like I was one of his closest friends. I mean, I'm sure he, he won't remember meeting me, but he's just got such a warmth about him. Yeah. Um, and it was just like, he, he, was, he was actually on a Frank Turner tour. He was playing with Crazy Arm. Uh, oh, yeah, Crazy Arm supporting and Chip Reagan was supporting. So I went and hung out in the Leeds show, and I helped them get to this after-show gig, and it was just like, in that few moments, it was like I'd known him for forever. And, I, and it was... Um, not many people make that connection in that way. Um, so yeah, he's, he's got a talent, and, and his music's amazing. So yeah. It is yeah, yeah. I forgot the name. There's a game where he's done the soundtrack for, and I just saw an advert for it the other day, and I'm desperate to play it. But that's I've not got all the information, so that's a rubbish anecdote. So sorry about that. Have you, have you seen the uh, ten things I love about Trevor Reagan? Like no. Trevor Reagan could press the bear, right. uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, make me feel safe in his manly. <laughs> I haven't, but we'll check that out. Waves they crash against the face, they pull the cliffs away. And every year the paths are moved, the last year's walks are raised. The waves they crash against the cliffs, they pull the earth away. And once again the paths are moved as if they are the same. And once again the paths are moved as if they are the same. Yeah, and so some people we were talking about like before about people coming to your show and not really knowing your background and mm. work. Because you actually come from a massively like, 
influential funk <laughs> I wish it was a funk family. Yeah, yeah. Both your sisters playing both music, your dad is well known, he's like award winning, he's been on Jules Holland. Yeah, yeah. So were your parents really disappointed when you were like, I'm going to join a punk band? No, the. Hello, sir. Could you could you just keep your voice down, please, sir? Thank you. <laughs> and still doesn't. <laughs> that doesn't normally happen on your podcast, does it? <laughs> what were we saying? Right. Yeah. yeah okay. Uh, so, um, no, no there, was ne- there was never a hint of disappointment. Yeah. I think. Um, there was definitely some early years where my dad was like, don't go to music, go be a lawyer or something, you'll have a much easier life. Um, but it was, because they were musicians, they, they got it, do you know what I mean? Like, and I, I was very lucky in that way, in a way that a lot of my friends maybe weren't. Like, even members of the band, when we started out, weren't quite as lucky as me, because my parents recognised going out and not making any money, but doing something you love as, as a passion for life and, and, and a job. Whereas a lot of people, families don't do that, you know. So it, I was lucky. And, yeah, I think, although my, my dad definitely doesn't really understand Random Hand or really want to listen to it, um, he gets that it was something I needed to do. And he, the fact that he's seen me go full circle and I needed to go and do the rebellion thing, I think he gets that. So, so were you a touring baby? Like, were you on tour? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was... Well, my mum did a gig the night before I was born, I think, pretty much. Yeah, yeah, my mum my was an absolute warrior. Um, so she did that um, and then yeah I think I was out on tour very 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 quickly um, with um, yeah so that, I mean this is proper folk geekery but there was like a chap called John Remborn who was a massive folk guy from um, a few big bands around that time and they had a band with my mum and dad called the Ship of Fools and I was out my earliest memories were out on tour with them and stuff yeah, I think basically I was on tour with them until they got in trouble for taking me on tour. So you're surrounded by like, all this beautiful music that's being played by amazing vocalists and army, and you where I don't like any of that. <laughs> <laughs> I, want, I want to listen to a man who's probably just playing the guitar badly and then also hardly sing, but that's shit. <laughs> I think I just, I, I needed after spending so many years in folk clubs seeing big beardy guys with tankards and stuff like and it was like that stereotype like i needed to get away from it and i remember like the, i think it was i think one of the first things i saw was like skunk and Nancy or something playing weak as i am or something on like a chart video show and it was just like i was like i need to do that i need to do that loud thing um, so yeah that that was like the tipping point as soon as i was like 13 14 Went off and did that. So did your sister not rebel in the same way that you did? Well, Martha was... Um, she went down a more of a trip-hop route. So she, was, she, did, she did a little bit more different kind of rebellion. It, wasn't, it was something that was a lot more palatable than punk yeah. rock. Um, but yeah, now, and now she's back on the, the folky vibes, yeah. So how do you find that? Like, how do you find music? How do you find punk music, essentially? Because like, you're surrounded by a lot of folk. Yes, there's not really that much like Ramones, Clash, Sex Pistols kind of in your house, so like it's been free top of my head. Traditional punk bands are available. So, like, where did you find? Was it school? Was it go to school? Um, 
it was right. School school was a strange one because I, I I mean a lot of the punk stuff to me came late because there wasn't there wasn't a direct there wasn't like a bunch of kids at my school that had that were tapped into the American scene or the underground punk scene like like largely I was maybe the person that had was bringing that music taste to the to a lot of the stuff um, so. It wasn't until maybe I was 16, 17 that I started really getting into punk. It was probably just indie rock and stuff before that point. Um, it was when I met members of the first band that we were in that they started showing me like more punk stuff and things. Because um, it, yeah, it was just the standard stuff before that. It was Nirvana and all those kind of things and everything that was on TFI Friday and all those kind of things. That pretty much shaped the, like, the pathway of taste. And then, yeah, so it was like 16, 17 when I suddenly found like Tony Hawk's soundtrack and all that kind of stuff. Um, I've completely forgotten what your question was now right. and where we were going with that. <laughs> Just it's so interesting when like, talking to people from our generation yeah. from where they discovered pop music and like, you'd be surprised how many times Tony Hawk yeah. comes up and how, how video game music kind of introduced you to, to what became... It was huge. Yeah. Yeah, it was because it, it was that time when computer games were just becoming quite a mainstream thing and I think... Music videos were going just a big thing. There was P-Rock and all that kind of stuff on TV. And Tony Hawk's absolutely embodied that. Like, it, it was, you know, it was 12 of the coolest songs, or 15, 20 of the coolest songs that they thought were, were brilliant. Yeah. And it was like, it was like so the best ever mixtape ever was just put in front of everybody, and people listened to it more than they would have done if it wasn't, you know. So, yeah, it totally defined so much, you know. Like, and you can hear it in Random Hand. Like, that, the third album that Random Hand made pretty much sounded like it was supposed to be Tony Hawk's <laughs> like, you, just, you know what I mean there was that mix you know yeah. and, and like we knew we were doing that and we, we weren't upset by that we weren't like shying away from it and I think um, yeah we were happy that that was what the sound we were embodying on that record I had to also be a taxi driver as this game yep. the soundtrack taxi driver just like the... yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. bit of bad, bad religion on the end yeah, exactly. so uh, Random Hand is obviously a huge part of your history and music, and, but I've already put this around around the past episode of Robin, mm. so I'm not really going to dwell on that too much of that. There are certain things that I do want to ask you though. So, like, something I'm interested in is um, you all met at school, yeah. and what was it about Robin and the other guys that kind of drew you to them? So, well, we not when we first started, was it? We, we, so me and Robin had another band before Random Hand, which was called Nosebone, and it was you know it was, it was it, we, we were we were kind of all introduced by a maths teacher that wanted us to basically like I think you, you know there's always like an area where people hang out like the, we, where the geeks and the the music heads hang out we hang, we hung out in the music corridor at school, and I think those guys were hanging out in a different place and this teacher just just went. Joe, come come take these guys to the music corridor. They need to hang out with you. Yeah. So we did that kind of thing, and that was just that was probably the genesis for us spending a lot of time together, really. And then, yeah, they, they'd already started this band called Nosebone, and they just went, "Do you want to come and play bass?" I'm like, "Yeah, all right." So, so kind of went from there. About twelve years of watching um, Robin be front man. How did you now go off doing your own thing? Where you've been doing your own thing for the past five years, right? Yeah, yeah, about that. So, how, did you have you learned anything? God, Robin is like he's, his ability to be like to to just get a crowd on side is so enviable. Like and like the moment the moment I slip up or I'm failing at doing because it's it's not an easy thing to do. There are moments when you can be 
on stage in front of people and you'll feel like a fucking stand-up comedian. You're like, I am killing this. This is great. I should do this for a living. Everyone's laughing. This is so good. And then you'll say the exact same thing the next night and you'll be like, ah, fuck. Why, why aren't people laughing? <laughs> you know, and you'll just, that'll crush you. And then it impacts and impounds on the next gig and stuff. So you kind of go in these peaks and troughs of good and bad frontmanning, for me anyway. And every, every time I, I mess up, I'm like, what? how would Robin have done that? What would he do? Because I've seen, I've seen Robin just have crowds in the palm of his hands all the time. It's enviable and it's brilliant and it's been amazing to be part of that. Like, yeah, it's really good. So there's like frontman go, apart from Robin's one side. With both of them, what, what from it do you look at and go, they are phenomenal? Like, they are the people who are obviously wanting to steal from, really, like, movement. Well, I don't think necessarily on a, on a stealing front, I, 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 I probably absorb a lot of it and like good ideas seep in, but I, you know, like on the punk scene, like, sorry, a little bit of wind there. Sorry, I am drinking the beer. I drank a beer while watching the end of it. Um, so yeah, um, Alex from One Unit is an, like a, another incredible frontman. Like the way he, the way he can just have an audience in the palm of his hand as well is good. Much like Robin, really. Um, and then there's a like new band, Risky and the Ridicule. Uh, their frontman Scott reminds me of. Robin in a lot of ways uh, and a few other front men kind of into one so I quite, I quite like watching him yeah so something you said was like 75% of touring you hated with rubber pants no, no not quite there was 75% of it was hard work okay. like I, I would I'd, I've never never hated it um, there was there was the problem is like on stage is always the best time and then you have hours sat around waiting to do, like waiting to be on stage. And when you're doing 200 gigs a year, which we were doing, we did four years in a row. We did that. That's that's a lot of strain, and it's a lot of strain on your lives, on your relationships, on it inside the band and outside the band. And to a large degree, we were all on the same page through most of that. But the moment you stop being on the same page, that becomes quite hard work and I, I definitely never there was never a point where I wish I wasn't doing it but there was a point there was points where it became okay why are we doing this now like because we've, we've done this for so long and it's not supporting us yet um, which you know it was never about making money but there comes a point when you hit 30 and it's like well you know if I want to I'm either going to be that guy that just tours in a band and doesn't really have a proper life or I try and have a proper life, so that was that really. Straight in the dab at a ready, you know. We'll let you and tell the music to go. No attention for anything, ma. Recycled stands are what you came here for. Now I love the beat, but I need to shout. And if you miss the points of the band, then plug in your brain and try to get out Yes. Do you see that as like your way of kind of 
not therapy, but it's your way of kind of releasing and going, okay, I'm more than just this band. I, I, I can express myself in a different way. Um, there was never a... There was never a process in my head like that. Yeah. I think just because of where I came from, with my parents playing music the way they did, it was never any question that there was always going to be a part of me that, pr that produced that. Um, so, yeah, so it, was, it was never any question, really. I was, I was, I, at some point, I was going to do a, an acoustic album. Like, from the, day, from the day I picked up a guitar and started writing songs, that was always going to be the case, and it was always going to be nothing like Random Hand. Um, and I've always... Yeah, I've, I've, it was, I've always felt insanely privileged to be able to have something on total opposite ends of the spectrum to put out there. Like, I get, I kind of, I did a solo gig supporting my sister Martha in London. Um, it, was, it, was, it wasn't, the, it, was, it was somewhere in Shepherd's Bush, Bush Hall or something like that. 450 people, beautiful gig, incredible gig. And I was just, I was like there playing one of my songs and it was... It was like one, it was one of the perfect moments of like like why I did it, and it was just like complete silence and complete moment of suspension playing these really quiet delicate bits of guitar, and I was like this is amazing this is perfect, and then 24 hours later I got picked up by the guys went over to Belgium, and played in a really sweaty really warm room I was pissed, and all the audience were pissed and screaming all the words as. And I was like, oh, this is really perfect. So, and I like the complete opposite end of the spectrum. And I like, not many, not many people are lucky enough to be able to have that. You know, not, not many people are lucky enough, are privileged enough to, to have one of them, you know. So to be able to do that in the space of 24 hours, I, I fe you know, it felt pretty, yeah, it justified a lot, of the, <laughs> a lot of the hard work. It was good, yeah. Definitely. And I think from going from being, what you said, like an raging band that you are, the ball went all together on yeah. stage and trying to slide yourself around, to, to play a more mellow, relaxed, everyone's mm. still there, was really listening to, to what's going on, mm. instead of being focused on about four or people on stage and see yeah. what's going on uh, How is that, like, feeling like when you do come off, though? Like, do you find yourself, like, more at ease, like, more like, eh, let's cool, like, let's just go, let's just go chill out and uh, go for a glass of wine, or is it still get the same fucking, like, yeah, what after a solo gig? Yeah. Um, do you know what? I think the the, the buzz in after a good gig is the same. Like that, like some of the happiest moments of being on tour are when you're in the van after you've loaded out, after you've done a fucking great gig, and everyone is just like there's the the the, the, the difference like the, the the like the flip side of when you're in the hour before getting to a venue and you're, you're in the van you're in the cold everyone's just like kind of like cocooned and not really wanting to get out and load out the van when we get there everyone's quiet to themselves doing their shit someone's probably pissed off with the driver and someone needs a crap you know there's all that kind of stuff no one's loving that moment like and you're about to get lost in a shit town like that kind of thing I don't mean a shit town but you know what I mean you're about to get lost in some crap traffic and then you contrast that to the like 20 minutes after you've loaded out and everyone's buzzing you know everyone's just like that was amazing and like you know like uh, and that's not that's not to do with drink or anything no like you know robin doesn't drink sean doesn't drink and most of us me and dan don't really drink much before before random hand plays so it's only if we go and have a big night out that we get drunk after the gig so you know it's nothing to do with that but everyone is just having the best time you know it's just like you know it's that that high-fiving moment and you know backslapping thing and it's like i've gone and done five gigs with this new band supporting the solo stuff, the Embers band, and we've done 
five gigs leading up to this gig, and we've played to a handful of people most nights. There hasn't been huge crowds, but every gig has been worthwhile. Every gig has been has had somebody love it, and we've really enjoyed being on stage, and it's been exactly the same as it was with Random Hand. We've got in the car afterwards to load out, and we're all just doing that set, exactly the same buzz, exactly the same vibe. So, yeah. So why have you decided to, to have like a backing band with you? Like, why have you decided? Is that like your next step? Is that what you felt like you had to do to, to make that next step as a solo artist? So, doing the solo thing is, it's exactly what you think it is. It's lonely. Do you know what I mean? And like, going out on tour with Random Hands and having the band there all the time, you know, it, it doesn't matter even if you're having a crap time at some point. You've got your your family with you, you know, and to go and do the... I went out and did quite a bit by myself, and there is moments when it's absolutely brilliant, you see loads of friends and stuff, but then when you get in the car at the end by, and you're by yourself, you know, that, that high-five moment is the complete opposite. You know, to, to, to get out, to go and do a brilliant gig in front of however many people and have that buzz, and then just get in your car by yourself and drive for an hour and a half home or two hours... That's the complete opposite of the fun, you know. So that's very much part of the reason why I've wanted to get the band together. And also, they're, they're great musicians. And the albums, this new album that I've made is definitely, you know, it's bigger. It, and while the songs can be played by themselves, I really want to bed in a band and I want to... Sorry, that beer is really repeating on me. Um, <laughs> I re, you know, I really want to... I, I want to develop that a bit, you know, and I want to do about 20 gigs a year with the band feel like it's a unit and everybody's on board with and then you know do the solo stuff by myself when the right things come up yeah, yeah. so with your solo stuff because you do have such a legacy or your family has such a legacy in folk music mm. do you feel like you kind of have to battle past that or do you feel like you can go into it as your own person um it's it's a there's a lot of really weird strange nuance to being in a family of people that have had levels of success like like people assume because my dad and my sister are quite popular, well-known, and can go out and um, sell out gigs and stuff, they assume I do the same. Mm. So my best gigs, without a shadow of a doubt, have been supporting my sister Martha. But I don't have gigs like that by myself. I don't, I, it's very rare that I have a really good gig, you know, like with turnout-wise, when it's just my name on the bill, because I don't have that bigger, you know, I don't have that bigger name yet. In that saying. So a, a lot of people make an assumption because of the family I'm in, that I must be successful in that way. And it's not. It's still very early days for it. I've, had five, I've pretty much had five years off the solo thing as any kind of real endeavour until this last couple of weeks. Um, that, yeah, so yeah, yeah I've, I've had five years off, so it feels like it's starting again for me. And to do these five or six gigs with these guys and it, like, to finish in Manchester with that great, great crowd, um, I can't, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with how that's going. Oh, you, I've, gone, I've digressed. You asked me about my family. Um, it's not a bad shadow to be in. Like my dad's, you know, my dad's. Pl- it, it, it's an amazing influence, and I, um, I've got no because I've done Random Hand. I don't really have a huge desire to necessarily go. I need to be different to my, from my dad. It just is different, you know. There's a lot of people. If when I'm playing by myself, a lot of people that know my dad will go, "Oh my God, you sound just like your dad," and that's a compliment because he's brilliant. You know, he really, really is. Like, and like I've not. You know, I've not put the same amount of time into learning how to play guitar that he has. Um, so I, doubt, I don't think I'll ever be quite as good on that front. But, you know, I've picked up a lot on how I write a song from him. And, and the same goes from everything I've sucked, you know, like a sponge from everybody else. So, no, I've got, I've got no, 
I've got no issues. So why did you take that five years off then? Why did you, was it because it wasn't going the way you wanted it to, or...? It, my mum died. Oh, okay. So, I kind of, um... Because the solo stuff is so emotional, like, and I, I wear my heart on my sleeve, and all the songs are really deep to me. And if you know, if I if I get, if I end up in a different place from a, from a song, I stop playing it. You know, like the songs don't stay with me if they're not true to my, my what I want to say. So every time I write a song or every time I play those songs, I go to a place to create the the genuine performance. I get emotional and I get in there, and um, you know, a lot of those songs take me to that place and. I very quickly realised that every time I went to touch a guitar, my head went to my mum, and I could not do that. You know, I'm a control freak. You know, and loads of people are. You know, musicians are. You know, and I couldn't, I couldn't face going to that place and picking up that guitar took me there, and I didn't want to, I didn't want to indulge that emotion too much because it was a fucking hard place to go to. So it wasn't till about maybe two years after my mum died so, so there's a whole year when my mum was ill and I did a few gigs there and then there was the two years after she passed away where I literally only did gigs I'd accidentally agreed to that sounded like a good idea when I was having a chat with someone and then I was just like oh I don't want to do this why am I doing it so there was like a period of four years at least where there was nothing done intentionally nothing was productive I literally picked up my guitar the day of the gig to practice it I didn't practice or anything for those five years other than just before the gig so it was um, a very strange unproductive time um, but then I started writing for this album it was actually after hearing a couple of songs uh, on Dan Allen's Last Duck and Punches album not the last one the one before um, where he'd written about a friend that had uh, committed suicide and that just, that was the moment. It was like, I'm going to pick my guitar up now and I'm going to write about my mum. So I went and wrote a song about my mum. And that was, it was weird because that felt like, that was it, I'm back. It wasn't quite that romantic. It was, you know, like I, I did it, wrote the song and then still was like, okay, actually, after a little, like on, on reflection, I still need a bit more time. I'm glad I got that out. So it took another, again, another year or so or two years to get to the point where I was comfortable to write and sit down there. And I don't, you know, the, my, my, my place with the grief is very different now. And I don't feel like I'm with my mum on stage anymore. And she always felt like she was there. You know, in fact, you know, it's weird talking about it now. Every time in those five years, I was always a, a minute away from, you know, being bowled over by the emotion of it. Whereas I haven't thought about my mum once in these last five or six gigs. Now I come to think of it. And that's, I'm not, I, know, I suppose in some way that's sad, but actually I'm, it's quite a, a positive point of my grief to get to that point. So yeah, that's the... Uh, unexpected answer about why, why I had five years off um, and now I've made this album that is totally it's totally an echo of all of that grief you know, the, the top, you know there's only one or two songs that are really direct reference to my mother but everything else is totally shadowed by it and influenced by it it's like my first album didn't have a body count but this album does there's, there's at least 80 deaths throughout the songs which is quite a macabre situation to be in um, and definitely now I'm telling people on stage makes me feel like a mentalist. But, um, yeah. So, so with the album, then, when you are putting out a new album, how have you gone about... Have you decided to just try and do it for a label? Or have you decided, fuck it, I know what I'm doing, I'll do it myself? Um, the jury's really out on that. I mean, I'd, I'm a, if the right label came along, I'd happily do it. Um, again, I'm, you know, my, my, my expectations are so different to, to what I had when I had expectations five years ago. When I made my first album... I had a label behind me, I had 
all these other things. I had, I got, I'm, I was proud of that album, and it got really good reviews, like in places I never thought I'd get an album reviewed. But like it was literally months after that that my mum got ill, so I didn't do the, what I wanted to do with it. I just didn't do it. So, like I say, it feels like I'm starting again. I'd quite happily release it myself if nothing comes along. But I'm also not in any rush anymore. Like, I don't have any expectations from it. I wanted, I wanted, of course I wanted that first album to do really well and it give me a career. But my career, looking for a career in music isn't really my thing, necessarily my thing anymore. Like, it's gonna be, I want it to be part of my life. Yeah. But I've, you know, I've diversified. You know, I've set up my own business, you know, printing T-shirts and that kind of stuff. And that, that supports me now. I've got... You know, I've got, I'm getting married, you know, I've got a mortgage, all that kind of stuff, but I want to be able to do that and have the music, but I know if, if I throw my all into music in the way I did with Random Hands, all those other things probably won't really exist. And I quite like those things. And I've got a dog now. I couldn't tour with a dog. He's quite cool. You know, so there's balances, and I'm not, I'm not 25 anymore. You know, I'm nearly 35, and I'm quite happy... It being a part of me rather than all of it's me. about you and I. Sometimes I can't say who you are. But I don't know who I am half the time. It's about you and I. It's about the reasons why. I need to know what you think about my toil and pride. It's easier to lie. There's no looking back. Advances will never flow quite right It's easier to lie Just to struggle to get by What's the point if we're never quite on track? Caught up in the moment We all appear the same Caught up in the moment Turning over blame Yeah Your experiences kind of resonate with me when I went to high school So a lot of people that listen to this podcast will know I used to work on the punk show and then from the punk show I started making radio dots mm. and I was mildly successful but then there was a period where I just didn't get work and mm. it's hard to let go of it it's hard to go mm. okay, this isn't my career yeah. I'm guessing that's kind of how you felt like with your music like like you said, like, you can't make the money that you need to make to be able to get the dog. Yeah, yeah. So was that hard? Was that hard for you to realise that? Or was it like, actually, that's a fucking load of weight? Oh, no, it was, it was, it was awful. No, like, the thing is, Random Hand was me. You know, it was my life. And I know, I know I wasn't the front man of it, but like, it was my everything. It was my every day. I got up, I worked on it. I worked on every single bit of it. I was always talking to the label and the agent, constantly working on everything, making the plans, you know, all the social media stuff, every single bit of it took up all of my waking hours. You know, like it was, it was everything. So to go from doing that, even, even when the band was part-time, I was still full-time. You know, yeah, everyone was getting the band and we were only doing 50 gigs a year rather than 200 gigs a year, but I still had the same, same job to do 24 hours a day. So when that stopped... You know, that, that defined me, you know, so much. And, like, we've all got that... Even, you know, even if you have your ego in check, that part of us that is defined by what we think other people think of us is huge, you know. And so, yeah, not having Random Hand anymore just made me feel like I didn't 
quite as significant anymore. So that was a, a weird thing to get my head around. But you know, you, you, do, you, do, you adapt and you get over it. And it did take a while, you know, but I had other shit to deal with at the time. My mum died, you know. So it's like, it was, like it, it was weird though, like to do both of those things at the same time was a strange one. But you know, there was a, it, 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 me, it, it, it got me to where I am now. And I'm, you know, random hands back in a really healthy way. You know, like we're, we're doing 15 to 20 gigs a year and having the absolute time of our life doing it. And it's all a really healthy hobby. You know, and everyone's just again. Every gig's great, so there's no there's no travelling 200 miles to play to no one, and sitting you know accidentally sleep in the van. You know, there's none of that stuff. It's all great. You know, and we're lucky to do that. So, so away from music though, you've also you spoke about a t-shirt from merch store. Uh, sorry, um, um, got the name wrong. Merch store. Merch store. Yeah. Oh, you're an emergency I was. I'm not anymore. Okay. So. That was the job I was in. I, was, I worked for um, the Red Cross. Yeah. I worked there for three years, and I kind of I ran the emergency response for Yorkshire, and it was mad, and it was a big job. I worked on, like... So I set up a rest centre when they had the bombings in Manchester. Yeah. Like, I was... It was a strange one, actually. So I basically looked after a rest centre when they found the bomber's car. So the way that worked was I was, like, the... I wasn't on-site. I was off-site. So I was actually, I got, I got the phone call, at, I was on call, so I got the phone call at, I think, 10 o'clock in the morning, and they just went, Joe, we need you to set up a rest centre, um, can you be the silver command? I'm like, yeah. And I basically was just in my dressing gown, coordinating, um, <laughs> coordinating a rest centre in my pants yeah. Um, for this, for, yeah, for a potential, but where they had to look after 150 students that they evacuated. It was nuts. I didn't get dressed till two that day. That must have been a surreal experience. Yeah, yeah. Like, I'm missing the train for that stuff. You get the back of your head, you're like, ah, what is this? Like, you're fucking there. Oh, like, shit. Yeah, yeah. You know, there was some mad stuff. Like, we did, I mean, I didn't really do much on Grenfell, but a lot of my colleagues did. It was a really weird time. Um, and, you know, I, I got a lot out of it. And it was great. But things have their time. And I want, you know, I, I, I got to a point where I realised that fundamentally... The, the, be- the higher I got up in the job, the further I got away from doing the nice things with people. Yeah. And it just turned into, regardless of what I was doing, it turned into an office job. Yeah. And I realised I was having to be two people to make that work. Like, I was the, me who goes and talks to the members from the army and the police and all this kind of stuff for the Red Cross, and then me at home. It was just hard work. It, uh, I, and I, I knew from all the touring and all the music that actually what I really want to do is just be me and make a living being me which is what happened and now I don't have to commute for three hours a day either which is a big deal let's talk about merch store because that that, that civilization now I guess is your bread and butter that's your company and a lot of like these are the t-shirts that you've made and are wearing now all my people in the room is what I'm saying but uh, yes how did that come about was it a sense of why are we paying other people to bring up our merch or we just got this not so much, but there is a big, there's a big like. I really wish I'd got on this earlier yeah. vibe, but um, yeah. <laughs> no, it was basically again. This is another thing that happened. It was like three or four years ago. There's a chat, a, a, a friend of mine who was really into printing. He's a graphic designer, and he basically wanted to set up his own place, but he didn't know people to print stuff for. And um, me and him talked about setting up a press, and that's when my mum got ill, and I just I, I moved away. You know, I didn't want to, I just said, I know we were going to do this, but I can't stick around here anymore, I'm going to go away. So I moved away, disappeared for a few years, I came back, and he'd, in that time, set up the workshop as a bit of a hobby thing, 
and was just doing a couple of jobs a month just to pay for the pay for the rent, but wasn't making a living out of it. Um, and then I basically, basically, it was actually when I was I had enough of my job, I kind of I took a week off to learn how to make pizza. So I basically, as you do, so I took, I basically, I learned how to make loads of pizza, and then I just happened, just idly talking to Adam, and he just, I just said, look, I'll bring you a pizza and come to the workshop. I came down, and he had this amazing press set up, and I just thought, well, why aren't we doing this? Yeah. We should do it. I know a lot of punk bands, so let's do it. So, and that was it, you know, so we, and then within weeks of me leaving my job to do that, the plan was I was going to go full-time, build it up, he was going to come and do the evenings, and then get to a point where he could leave his job he got made redundant within weeks of me leaving so it was like oh well we have to make this work now so yeah we just went for it and um, I'm not going to lie the first first three months were great then we had three months when it just kind of was like oh this is hard work now and we're working 60 hours a week and it's Christmas and we're not making enough money and oh my god why are we doing this and then we kind of went away for Christmas came back after Christmas and since Christmas touch wood it's just been brilliant like that, you know, the, the work's coming in a really healthy way. We're not working stupid hours. We're working sensible hours. And, yeah, so, you know, I know, I, I know there'll be rocky times and there'll be strange things will happen at some point. But for the moment, it's, you know, it's done what it should do. It's built in the right way. And, yeah, I'm happy to be doing it a year on. So, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, like, it's been great to, like, obviously work with you in the way that like, you helped me out with mm-hmm. the t-shirts and stuff like that. And I feel like you've, you've kept kind of, like, your punk ethics to the designs and the, like, word of mouth is the yeah. big part of the, the business. So anyone who does need t-shirts... <laughs> well, the thing is, I mean, I, I'm... I've definitely taken the punk rock ethos to things. And that, that was, you know, I've always been about working with people and making friends with people and stuff. And I... You know, there's there's enough work out there for everybody that, that can do it to be able to do it, and I've enjoyed, you know, working with colleagues and, and making friends with other people that do the same thing, and it's important. It's yeah, important to do that. Like the boom of like, it used to just be bands, and now it's obviously podcasting, merchandising, everything. You know, it's like a rise in it. Like you have people coming to you that's not bands going. Oh, we we do we're doing loads of like we've done Signature Brew stuff. We were yeah. doing Manchester Punk Festival. We've done a lot of their stuff, and that because they're old friends, so it's really nice that they've managed to kind of send a bit of success our way which is nice um, and then we've done lo- loads of breweries actually other breweries are, are all over the country and loads of brands little little brands that are starting up yeah we've got to do loads of that stuff so it's been nice yeah. so it's, uh, it's got to wrap up I think mean, because of the other way yeah so the program has not done you're kind of doing like a countdown approach of playing where you want to play and where you want to play yeah there is a bit of that um, thing is though I mean, Capdown were, you know, they, they got the opportunity to come and do some gigs and they are literally doing it. Can we do it? Are we all all right to do it? Let's do it. And that's their thing because I know Keith hasn't been very well. So that's, that's their, their decision on, on how to do it. And, they, you know, they might not do any more. You know, that's the thing. But with Random Hand, I think we, we never, we didn't, we didn't quit. We never stopped. We never went, we've thrown the towel in. We just said we've really pushed this and done everything we can to get as far as we can get within our abilities just like when I did, just like we did with merch doll before Christmas you know like we really burnt ourselves out so it's either stop or burn out and fall out so we, we just had a break and that was the right thing to do and I think we leaving with that album although it was a bit in hindsight rubbish to leave an album untoured 
like coming back after three years with a load of material that we never gigged is great because it's so fun to play. Like we, we we're not bored of it. You know, we've not overdone it or anything like that. So you know, having all that this new catalogue of stuff and you know the last summer was so good. We've sat down now and we kind of like well let's you know let's write some more. So we're definitely going to write some more stuff at the end of the year. Whether it's an EP or an album, I don't know. But you know the dynamics change. We're not trying to make we're not trying to make a living anymore. We're not trying to we're not trying to necessarily be the biggest band in the world anymore to make a living. You know, we're just trying to be the band for ourselves. And coming back the way we have done has been more rewarding than I ever knew it would be. Like the, the gigs that we did this year, I, I thought that the reunion, well, the the end of the last tour we ever did, the, the, yeah, the, before the break, I thought that was going to be peak random hand. I, I just couldn't see it ever been better than that because loads of people everyone came out of the woodwork to see us and go you know just wanted, you know, wanted to say goodbye and I thought there's no way we could do that good again and then we came back and there was a handful of sellout shows and there was some festivals that were incredible I thought oh that, that was just as good I didn't expect that and then we booked some gigs for this year and I thought they're not going to be as good as last year though are they and they were better still you know like we played we, we sold out the Brudenell Social Club, which we hadn't quite done before. We got close, but we, you know, we did it and then some, and it was brilliant. And then we, I thought, I like, literally thought that's going to be the best gig we ever do. And then the next day we went to London and had 600 people at the Underground Village Underground, or whatever it is, a venue that we, you know, because the, the, the gig we were supposed to get, do at the Underworld got cancelled because it flooded, so we got moved last minute to this other venue, and it was amazing. Like it was like a huge step up for us and. For us to be doing that when we thought we were just, you know, just trying to, you know, get what we could out of it for a while was was really something. So, you know, it's not we're not just we're not just dialing it in. We're not coming back to just, you know, to just cash in on what we could have done and then stop again. We are touring an album that didn't get toured, and we're going to write a new one. So I don't I don't feel like it's quite the same as bands that are just maybe coming back for a little bit just for a bit of fun. We're still gonna still gonna bring some new creativity to it. Thank you. Thank you to Joe for giving up his time to talk to me. Uh, I'd like to apologise to Joe personally for the mic fail already know i have um, over email but thank you joe for giving up your time I, again i apologize in the mic uh failed us. uh apologies to you um well done for getting through it uh, not letting it be too much of a distraction good going uh, go to merchstore.co.uk to find out what joe has going on over there also go over to joe's Bandcamp uh, site and pick up his solo work it is really really fucking good uh, go support him uh, lastly keep an eye out for Joe's other band Random Hand who are playing a couple of uh, festival shows over the summer all those links and good stuff is up on the podcast bio on your phone or up on the uh, social uh, channels on Instagram Twitter and Facebook at Punks and Pubs that's it for me as always go rate and review uh, don't rate the audio on this one uh, go tell your mates and pick up a t-shirt and 
support the pod. I'm going to leave you in the very competent hands of The Lag, a London-based Irish folk punk band. Uh, I need to catch them live because they sound fucking fun as fuck. Uh, This track is called Let's Do It Again. We will be back next Sunday with a slam dunk special uh, with another Joe, weirdly. As always, if you go into a punk show and you see someone fall down, you pick them right back up again. Until next time, bye-bye.